I'm Jack Cohen, the Associate Rabbi at Hampstead Shul, and this is Community. In this podcast, I get to speak to some extraordinary people from the Jewish community about themselves, about religion, about everything else. This is a DK production, so sit back, turn up the volume, and enjoy. Our guest in this episode is Ariel Hakoen. Ariel is an award-winning, critically acclaimed conceptual photography artist whose work has been exhibited in numerous museums and galleries across Israel, including the Israel Museum, the International Photography Festival, and the Hecht Museum in Haifa. His work is currently on display in the Biblical Lands Museum in Jerusalem. He graduated with honors from the Bezalel Academy of Arts and Design, where he also picked up multiple academic prizes for excellence and has studied in Paris. He currently holds the Claw Scholarship for study at the Royal College of Art here in London. I'd be remiss not to mention at this stage that Ariel is also a cousin and close friend. In this episode, we discuss quite a range of topics, such as what he believes to be the principles which lie behind his continued success and creativity. Importantly, we are also fortunate enough to hear his unique perspective as someone who grew up in an Orthodox community in Israel on what it was like coming out as gay to friends and family and the accompanying religious journey at that time. Both Ariel and I enjoy thinking conceptually and philosophically about all sorts of issues, so be warned, we get deep here quite quickly. We start with Ariel telling us about his journey to becoming an artist in the first place and why he chooses photography as his artistic medium. I hope you enjoy. So I'd say I began um, as a child. Um, I was really... Uh, astonished how a camera can translate really ba- banal things in reality and turn them into beautiful aesthetic and depictions. Like even this idea of focus, of when you use a very low depth focus and things blur in the background and and it's very um, intuitive and, and easy in a way. Uh, ver- uh, if I, I don't know, compare it to painting or something that uh, needs much more of effort. Um, so, so I began like that, like really enjoying the aesthetic part of photography. But as years uh, went by, I, I, the aesthetic part of it became sort of a obvious thing for me. And, and I, I started to see that my images in a way reflect um, things that I'm thinking of, uh, things that are concerning me and sometimes like also things that I'm not actually aware of. So when my photography developed, I was interested uh, in in trying to uh, use photography as to create like a, uh, I'd say a, a field of, uh, of concept that I'm, like there's a, an idea and around this idea, I, I swim in a pool of images. So this is already when my photography becomes more conceptual. You're not really doing photography anymore. You're doing conceptual art and your medium is photography. Um, Would that be fair to say? Yeah, it would be. And also, I think today as an artist, uh, not just as a photographer, so 
the reason why photography is, I'd say, the, my major tool is because the photographs all the time discuss how we see reality, how we experience it. And, and photographs all the time ask a question about our reality, our conception of how we understand things versus what's actually out there. Uh, and also, I think for me, there's a strong thing about photography that's like um, about trying to touch things, to, to cling to things. So um, when, when we see something and feel the urge to photograph it, there's something about this act that's to do with we want to be owners of it. But so we can be like owner, but it can be also our 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 need in, in physicality. And it, it's something I feel like when I go somewhere and I see something so beautiful or so different and I, I want to, to, to hold it, but we, we cannot really, um, most of the time we, we can't uh, cling to, to, to it. So we, we take a photo, a photo of it. And, uh, yeah, so so that's why I, I photography is so powerful for me because it's all the time asking this question of what do I see and what do I want to touch, what do I desire, and all of this happens in this two-dimensional world, um, which is also beautiful because photographs are more like windows to the world. So there's something very simple about it compared. To, to I don't know like physical 3D objects that are actually there and they're in front of you and images are always about this depiction of something that isn't in front of you this is particularly important in you know the modern day and age and the day of the the, the days of Instagram um, and particularly I think the day of the selfie um, because what you're talking about about being able to capture things being able to hold things, um, I think is actually really nicely expressed in what a selfie does. I mean, used used to be, you know, if you ask someone when they used to go on holiday, take a camera to remember things. Now, no one needs to do that because every uh, picture um, that could possibly exist is on Google. Every monument, every location is is photographed and that's, that's stored. So if you were to go on holiday, you might take a picture of something not because you need to remember it or you need to see it, otherwise there's no record of it, because, but rather because it's, it then becomes your picture. This is not just some square, um, you know, some beautiful uh, square in, in Europe uh, that, you're, that you know, you're recording for memory, but this is actually your square. This is something that you have had some relationship with, that you've reached out and touched, as it were, through the camera. And to kind of add that element of the individual and the person and the connection between me and the object I'm pho and photographing becomes even more apparent when we're talking about selfies, because there I'm actually putting myself in the picture, which visually represents this relationship between me and the object. So, you know, if we go to, go to one of those fountains, the Trevi fountain in Rome, so there are, you know, literally millions of pictures of that, but my picture on my phone or my picture with me and my wife, when we went there, that's talking about how we have a relationship with this thing. There's a part of 
the Trevi Fountain we might want to take with us, or there's a part of a tr- the Trevi Fountain that is unique in terms of it exists in our consciousness, something like that. So I think, um, firstly, let, let me know if you think that makes sense. Yeah, so I think the the use of photography has to mark, I was here, I was there. And uh, so selfies is, of course, the most uh, maybe strongest example today. You can use images to present yourself uh, in a way that's completely false. And that's so much of, or, or not false, but very selective. Um, that's so much of uh, Instagram or social media is, yeah. you know, a, pre- a very well, very carefully curate, curated and, and, and a structured presentation. Um, and obviously then it's not just that the presentation is from a specific angle, but then the impact that can have on other people, um, which, you know, is perhaps a more general question of how, you know, it builds insecurity in society and jealousy and all these other things. It's very, very powerful just through taking very carefully crafted images and videos. Yeah. And I think today the question more, that's more um, raised about photos is not what do they show? um, Because that's already we know that they don't show anything that is actually real. They show a construction of a world, but it's more about what is their message? What are they trying to say? So who is their deliverer? And the fact that images are constructed depictions, it's not a shock like it was, I don't know, in the 50s when one would say that and people would argue, well, what do you mean? Well, images show exactly what we see in reality. So, so, so on that point, you're saying that, you know, the fact that we human beings now in most societies have an inbuilt knowledge that they should be distrusting images or that they can distrust images is actually something that's a more recent development. Um, wasn't always there. Right. But I don't know if, recent or like, yeah, already many years, I think that's the way we, we see images. And then the, the questions that come up are much more about what, what do the image try to say to us? Or what does the photographer try to say? Um, there is so much to talk about, but the first thing is kind of a very general point, which is, uh, you're an immensely accomplished artist. As you said, you've got, you know, you're 27, 28, Um, and you've got, uh, you know, already you've got art in the Israel museum, which is a huge achievement. You were, you know, an award winner in Batsalel college, which is, you know, the top art uh, college in Israel, as far as I'm aware. Um, you've been kind of winning awards all the way through. You're already at a young age, a person of note in the artistic community. And I wanted to kind of step away from the art per se and talk about achievement in general and, you know, what kind of, what drives you and what, what do you attribute to your um, continued success? Um, I think part of it is, is trying not to look ahead. There's something very worrying about thinking of like the future and looking and, and being concerned about um, questions that have to do with like what's going to be and uh, how can I work my way through such a tough field. And all of these questions are, really um energetically they they do the opposite of making you um able to f- to being focused 
So I, I think for me, as someone that uh, sometimes I found, I find it very difficult to sit down and focus on something, on one thing, I my head all the time spreads out. And I think it also comes as I talk, like sometimes when I talk, it's also spread, spreading out. So uh, I think, I think that, that my, uh, what I understand that it's a lot about focusing at like the moment that I am in now. So when I was in Betzalel, I tried really to be like a student in Betzalel and, and somehow opportunities came and I don't think they just came out of the blue. Of course, I worked very hard and I, I reached out, but all of the opportunities that came were all always like to do with myself being very focused in what I am doing right now and not what, what do I want to be. And I think also like being concerned about what do I want to be as I see my life, when I look at it, it always isn't going in the direction I'm expecting or thinking or planning. So, so that just wouldn't help. Just, it would make me worry. So if I could, if I could kind of bring a theory to express what you're saying, you can tell me if you like it or not, but it's something that I've been thinking about a lot recently, which is the, um, which is that life for, for a creative person, for someone who wants to achieve for all of us, really life is ultimately about, um, learning, learning and leaning towards full expression of self and full expression of self is something that is revealed. And I think that that is something revealed to all of us, including ourselves. So it's not something, and that's something that's very interesting because we like to think that we know ourselves and we like to think we can move and plan in the direction that we think we would go into. But the self that sits at the very core is almost like a surprise to us that we get to unwrap more and more as life goes on. And so if you're kind of planning ahead and planning ahead, you don't actually know what you're planning ahead for because you don't know what the self is that you're planning towards because you haven't unwrapped it yet. You're in the process of unwrapping it now and you can only unwrap it in the present moment and you can unwrap it with a lot of hard work uh, and express it in it with a lot of hard work. But it's almost like the head with which we think and plan and kind of see ahead and a picture for ourselves um, is not the same self or not generated from the same place as the true self that, you know, for instance, in your field finds itself in philosophical, conceptual and artistic expression. But when you are open to that, and when you're, when, when you're open to that, when you're looking to reveal that and express that in the moment, you end up finding that there are things that it can plug into um, at, that, at that point in time, which you would never have predicted because you don't know who you are. You're, you're, the whole life is this kind of discovery and that's kind of uh, fits into the idea that life is lived forwards, but you know, un, uh, understood backwards because it's only by looking back can we see what we've unwrapped. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think this um, image of us going forward, but our faces are only in one direction, which is backwards. It's very accurate for photography. And, and I mean, like Walter Benjamin uh, had this famous uh, image of an angel that's just flying uh, forward without any ability to control this direction, but his face is only looking backwards. And, and I think that for me, like if I connect it to photography, so yeah, when I go out with my camera, I, I use a film camera because I, for me, it's really important this 
part of revealing of, of not seeing at the, at the same moment when you're taking a picture, you don't see it, just reveal it in, in retro retrospective. It's about, um, like being there and looking and not being distracted by the image I made, but being in the place I am and seeing what I'm seeing, what's in front of my eyes. So, so on that point, again, that kind of comes to me to speak to very modern circumstance that, you know, all the documentation, for all the photographs we take and all the documentation and, you know, we check into to social media, we were here and this kind of feeling of being somewhere and needing to take a photo can often feel like it takes you out of the moment that you're in. And you're saying that perhaps, you know, forget photography for a second, just a practical antidote is a more old-fashioned device where you cannot uh, engage with the photograph that you've taken at the time that you're taking it. So it forces you to be in the moment. You can't escape from the moment you're in, even whilst taking photographs of the moment that you're in. Yeah, exactly. And and this openness you mentioned is really important, like for for artists or for creators. You, you never know from where will come your next project. I mean, now in the past... I'd say four months. I'm I'm watching uh, Olympic fencing, and I'm I'm in this project that I'm calling it now the the Jewish fencing club, and it's all about like 19th century Jewish clubs in in Germany and Austria and Hungary of of uh, fencing, and it all began just randomly with me seeing this article about a Jewish fencer. And at that moment, something like uh, really a bell rang and I, I've jumped in it and dived into that. But at the same time, if I would just be in a different energy and just go read it quick and go on with my life, so I wouldn't be where I am now. So this this um, need to be open is is really significant. But at the same time, I think it, it's really rare when it happens. I, I completely hear what you're saying. And again, just to kind of, you know, for people like yourself who have a, um, who have a uh, calling or, a, or, a, or an area of, of expertise, but often these things end up matching um, life and, and mirroring life. And again, it's that openness to being, to finding things in the world that just resonate with our core selves. When, and you never know when that's going to happen. And you never know what's going to come of it or where it's going to take you. But you have to take the time to breathe and to be open to it. And, and, you know, the sad reality is that most of us just walk around so distracted the whole time that we're not enjoying those moments where we find ourselves reflected from the outside and can grow and flourish and develop ourselves through those opportunities. So this constant distraction and this constant being in a, a world full of distractions is really stunting our growth on a very, you know, we talk about how unhealthy it is, but it's stunting our growth on a very, very practical but deep sense that we don't give ourselves the opportunity to flourish because we're not taking the time to do so. Yeah, yeah but I'm, I'm like really, um, this distraction is so built in into our lives that I'm sort of embracing it. I'm saying, yeah, that's that's part of it. But my attempt is in this distractive world to try and find small, really small moments where 
maybe I can be for one second, like uh, escape this distraction. So what, what I'm trying to say is that it's not about like uh, saying, oh, that's so terrible that this is the world that we're so distract. And because in this uh, festival of distractions, we can sometimes find very small moments and, and they can lead us uh, far away. That's, you know, that's beautiful. I think, you know, always, always when hearing those kind of counterbalance points, it does remind me sometimes my thinking is, can be too extreme, too black and white sometimes. And sometimes moderate voices must prevail because, you know, you need to put, you need to find a way forward that doesn't involve blowing up everything around you. I'm minded to, tempted to leave it open to you to kind of where to start with your journey, with your, with your sexual identity um, and, and what it means to you now? Yeah, I mean, I think that things happened uh, simultaneously. So when I was, I'd say, in the last year of high school, I really began to understand that I'm maybe gay. And that was something very frightening for me at the time. But like at the same time, my religion or my faith started to um, fall apart it wasn't about like these questions like does god exist or doesn't he exist because it was more about like what do i feel uh, do i feel this presence of god in my world and i understood that i'm gay and i understood that i do not feel a presence of god <laughs> in my world and the photography for me was a very um stable land while other uh, fields in my life were much less stable. And, and it was all about like what I see compared to what is out there. And I connect this also to my gayness and also to my faith because I've always learned like there's a very, um, uh, very clear path to my life. And suddenly in, in a certain place, I see that there's become a huge gap between what I know and what I feel. Uh, so, and, and in this, uh, in this space, like photography really comes in because it's all about this gap. Like it's all about this. What do I, what is there? What do I see? What, uh, what do I feel? So you said that this was a discovery that you found or you, you, you discovered in, in the last year of high school. Tell me about before that, what, what was, what was your thinking? Uh, thinking towards what, towards what? Like, towards your sexual identity. Was it uh, something you just never considered until uh, you were 17, 18? No, no, the... it, 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 it um, started earlier. Like, while I don't know when I was, let's say, yeah, 14, I, I understood. I, I begun to understand that there may be a chance that I'm not experiencing what my friends are experiencing and what are they like things that they talked about. I didn't really understand um, or feel. And, and this is a very, very like um, a scary moment when it comes slowly, but as it comes, it also, I, I push it to a very um, fenced area in my life. And this area is really uh, like a, black, a dark room and it's, and I, I don't 
deal with it because I really don't have any tools to deal with it. But as time goes by, I understand that this isn't going to disappear. It's there. And, uh, and that if I want to be happy in a way, I have to, to like think about it or, or do something with it. But just really later when I was like 18 till 22, I was already, um, recognizing it, but I couldn't talk with anyone about it. But I, I understood that that's part of me and, and I'll have to do something with it. Uh, and then a bit later, I was already in the process of, I had the ability to go to therapy and like on my first meeting with a therapist to say, I'm gay and I want to come out, but I don't know how. And also it's a lot about energy. Like this journey is, it, it demands so much energy that you really need to like, uh, build himself so he'll or she'll be able to actually go through this journey and and during like the past years I've met people that that are really um, suffering because they don't necessarily have the energy to, to do this journey and a lot of the work is about building yourself and love yourself enough so you can begin coming out so it would be fair to say that you had you had experiences going back, you know, till 14 or, or even earlier. And it was kind of 18 kind of became this watershed moment where, OK, I have to this is not going away. It has to be dealt with. And the strength that you're talking about is understanding is the strength to learn to accept yourself and accept that others might not accept you. Is that is that more or less? I, I, what you're think, talking about? I think it's more about acknowledging that the 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 others uh, actually will accept you and and maybe this is a privileged um, place to talk but i think many experience like the fact that their close friends or family will not accept them and this is so difficult to 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 live with but once i managed to like to go out and to talk to to tell my friends so i was uh, a lot of times surprised how like it became something that is really non-issue and I didn't think it would be so easy for me it was telling my my close friends and getting this support from them enabled me to to go and tell my parents which was much more difficult for me you can say no if you feel uncomfortable but um you said obviously speaking to your parents was much harder without necessarily going into like the the practical details do you want to try and articulate perhaps why that particular discussion is is so, is such a hard one to have is it to do with the fact that so much of our identity is bound up with how we believe other people see us and there's very few people that are as important in that as our parents um yeah i think i think it's about expectations and it's about how i know that they imagined the future and how they'll suddenly in a shocking moment have to do these really um, big adjustments. I went through a journey for like two years and a half and for them it was really sudden. And comparing to, I don't know, to my sisters or to my friends, they're really like um, there with me on a sort of timeline journey. But for my parents, it's about uh, me carrying a lot of things. And and this is probably a, a process that any parent goes through just with like 
accepting your children and the path that they choose, which is necessarily different from what you imagined. So there's a couple of things that's really interesting there to me. The first one is that, you know, obviously on this journey that you, that you've gone through, that you'll, that you have to be able to learn how to contain yourself. But in the moment of coming out to one's parents, you also have to, in the same moment, be able to contain them in a sense, or there's some element of, of, of holding them through this chat, through this journey that's been, you know, uh, very daunting uh, and central for you. And the other, the other element is that kind of that point about their vision for you links back to a running theme that we've had here that, you know, there's this kind of unraveling of the individual identity. It's not something that can be predicted. It's something that's discovered, or at least that's my running theme here. And, uh, you know, it's as much true for a parent as a child as it is in the way we've been saying it's for us to ourselves as well. Yeah. And, and I don't know you, maybe you can uh, say because you're a parent, but like the, the idea of discovery happens every hour probably with, with your child, because it's like all the time, uh, things that you don't think that are going to happen, happen. And you just live with this hectic path. Yeah. So literally this morning I had one of those moments. It sounds very small, but I, um, he, he asked for juice. So I said, do you want warm juice? And he said, no, just cold juice. But I didn't know that he could say no, just something. (laughs) I wasn't looking at him and I did a double take. It was like quite, quite a freaky moment. (laughs) I was like, what? You just said a full that No, just cold juice. That's so weird. So um, and also, I mean, last he's not been sleeping. Uh, he's not been able to, to, to comfort himself to go to sleep in his own bed. So we put him in, in, in our bed and I was just lying there with him last night around seven or eight o'clock. And I told, I explained to him that I was going to be doing some work and he was going to be sleeping. And then the next thing I know, he's like peering over, uh, the, the, the cushion, uh, the pillow to me trying to make me laugh because he knows on the one hand he should be lying down. He shouldn't be looking at me, but now there's an absolute grin on his face that he's, he's on a mission to make me laugh. And it's just this kind of cheeky personality that doesn't fit into my plan. And I think also have to kind of learn to accept that the plan changes, but also to learn to see this kind of full personality developing. And of course he's not at the point where he's got that level of self-consciousness to suppress the, um, the discovery and the journey. He just is what he's becoming. But at some point we kind of develop this lid that goes on top of that, that has a vision for where we ought to be going or contains it in some way. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of depth here. And what I found really interesting, I think is, you know, if you were to ask someone the stereotype of someone who would be, um, discovering their, their sexual identity and find out that they're gay, um, or, or, you know, realize that they're gay or come to that for the acceptance and then find that there might not be a place for them in, in orthodox, classic orthodox Judaism, um, and then kind of finding a different way. What I think is really interesting in your case is this kind of simultaneous acceptance of self, but you're also coming to terms with this element of yourself, which is just not connecting in any meaningful sense with uh, the davening with the tefillah with with any of these things and it comes to this point where you turn around and say okay well this is this is who I am and this is how I'm existing in this world and and it's kind of maybe the two tie in in this this moment in your life or this this period in your life where you're willing to be 
more open to fully accepting who you are in your own development, if that makes sense. Yeah, and but I think that many things that I I thought earlier maybe that I'll leave um, behind me, I, I um, put on feeling every day. And for me, being connected to my family and to my history is really important. Uh, and I do this through things that I've always done it, but maybe their their significance or their meaning is changes because like meaning always changes or always moves. What you're saying is that you find your place, you found your place in those things um, as opposed to, okay, we daven shacharit now because it's time in school to daven shacharit. Now you find your space where you can, which also really gets right back to the beginning where you find this element of yourself reflected in the image that you're taking in a way. There's the connection between these things and, and your own individual identity and your own ways that they relate to you and that you express them. If the, I'm, 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 I'm yeah. definitely stealing what you're saying, but the, you know, I think that that's definitely um, an, an element of maturity because I see uh, a lot that, you know, people who, found that religion was very oppressive uh, for them and wanted to find ways to kind of be free of it, to find ways to express themselves more fully. I do exactly what you say, you know, they, 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 and I'm, I'm not saying that's your journey because we've established that it's not, but you know, there's almost like this element where if, even if they become totally irreligious, they can't fully let go. And there's always this, this either if they're totally religious, irreligious, then there's a fight with the religion because they can't fully separate it from from their identity and and at some point there comes these ways where these elements of of their culture or their history or their religion or their faith um need to find an integration into themselves otherwise they end up being the things that as you said are kind of locked in the dark room behind the fence um and it's kind of we might not like that you know uh, we you know it'd be clean break from religion or a clean break from these things but actually we have to find you know we have to find ways to integrate all different parts of ourselves even if in our mind they might seem contradictory yeah i think there are no clean breaks and also the break doesn't have to be such a broken and also i, I want to say that um like, I think uh, it's difficult for me, in a way, to, to talk about my art. Uh, we did that earlier when when it's not uh, there, present. Um, it's like uh, talking about a symphony. Um, and, and like, so, so uh, I'm really inviting whoever's listening to, to see images um, on, on the web or, uh, yeah. That, that, that will maybe give a better um, idea of things we discussed today. Thanks for listening to Community with me, Jack Cohen. The producer was David Kurza. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode. And in the meantime, be sure to rate, comment and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>